Listen up. Welcome to the Louisville Urban League's radio show and podcast airing every week on Thursday from 12 to 1230. Um, I am your host, Lyndon Pryor, Chief Engagement Officer of the Louisville Urban League. Some call me The Voice. You can catch us on the radio live at 101.9 FM or 1240 AM, or you can find us anytime, day or night, at your favorite podcast stop. Be sure to subscribe, rate us, review us, and let us know what you think of the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It is good to be back um, this week. I hope everyone is well after the crazy weekend of storms that we had. I know there are some folks still wrestling with power outages and whatnot, but we are sending love and light to everyone and prayerful that that what you need gets restored in due time. Um, I am excited this week because um, I have uh, an awesome guest in here uh, for conversation this, this week. Uh, my brother and Louisville legend, Anthony Smith, um, is on the pod with us this week. And we're going to talk about a whole lot of things. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I don't know about Louisville legend, but I'll take it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I heard about you before I got to this city. So I definitely consider you to be um, a Louisville legend. And we're going to just we're just going to talk like we do. Absolutely. Um, and so I've had the opportunity to get to know Anthony um, over over the last seven or eight years, and it's just been a blessing to to know and be experienced to experience his his leadership and, and thoughtfulness around a whole host of different issues. And so um, we're just gonna wrap for a little bit around a lot of different topics. There are a lot of things that um, have happened in the city uh, this year, and even today, as we are um, we're recording this show in advance uh, on Wednesday. The DOJ has has announced uh, their recommendations or the findings from their investigation of LMPD. Uh, and so that is hitting the newswire as we speak. And so we might get into some of that. But there are uh, lots of different places that we may go. And so to get started, though, um, for folks who don't know you um, and just kind of level set on some things, Anthony, when I got to Louisville eight years ago, um, you were really just kind of getting out of the work of the Office of Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods yep. um, and doing a lot of that work where you were the founding director um, and had done a lot of things for the city around violence and violence prevention and interruption there. And so can you just tell us a little bit about how did you get into that work? What brought you to that space? Yeah, that's a good question, man. And one that I think about on the regular, right? So born and raised in Louisville. This is home. Uh, uh, and I've always wanted to make sure I grew up in a shiny neighborhood uh, that I was able to give back to the communities that I love most. Uh, and that's the West End uh, of Louisville. Uh, so before I started working in the mayor's office, I was working for an organization called NC3. It was a network center for community change that's no longer around. But of a lot of amazing folks who were just doing organizing in communities, uh, really focused on uh, working in partnership with communities to really make sure that their voices were heard and that they were at the tables helping to make decisions, but focused around education and, and, and housing and things like that. Uh, this opportunity for the city uh, came about when, uh, you know, we had that triple homicide in 2012 
where we lost three beautiful souls in the Parkland neighborhood. Uh, Mayor Fisher, who was mayor at the time, called people to the community, come in and have this conversation. And then Dr. Nesbitt and Dr. Hudson, Blaine Hudson, uh, spent six months with community really asking, what do we need to do, right? What should we do? Uh, and one of their big recommendations out of the 42, they had 42 recommendations, uh, which I, I tell folks all the time is still relevant today. Go read that report, the West, uh, the, the how we reduce violence in the West Louisville, I think is what it's called. Uh, they were they suggested and uh, recommended that the mayor open an office that focuses on this issue and pays attention to this issue. Uh, so when the posting came out, had conversations with some folks and decided to put my name in the hat uh, because I saw it as a bigger platform to do more work on behalf of those young, especially those young black men and boys who look like me, uh, who don't get to spend time in City Hall, who don't get to uh, be seen in ways that I think they should be seen. Uh, so I applied for the job, uh, went through a crazy interview process. Uh, <laughs> uh, seven interviews later, got the job and was really just trying to figure out what this really means, right? You know, there's this process of... There's an office of safe and healthy neighborhoods now that's focused on reducing homicides and shootings. But what does that really mean? And how do you do that in partnership with community? So for me, as somebody who'd done organizing before, I went to community. It's built a bunch of tables with community members said, hey, let's do some stuff. Uh, one of the beautiful things that happened at that time, too, is Casey Family Programs, who helped found the Cities United, where I work now, had also given a small grant to the Urban League to kind of bring people together to talk about how do we create better outcomes for young black men and boys in Louisville. So it was a lot of synergy at that time, right? A lot of people in places and in, in positions uh, that really helped move it. But it was really just, again, thinking about what I needed when I was growing up and how do we create those spaces and, and how do I help create those spaces was really what brought me to this work. Uh, because it's really not around violence prevention. It really is around how do we create better opportunities for those who don't get them. Wow. So what I... It was really excited to have you on and to kind of talk about is the how mm -hmm. of how we do the work, right? Like, so, so there's the what, but you know, I don't think we need, and certainly you and I don't need to debate about like what needs to be done. Right? <laughs> Absolutely, like, we understand, you know, what solutions need to take place and where root where root cause issues are, and all of that sort of stuff. And so we don't have to do a whole lot of that. But how the work comes to fruition, how we actually get to um, real tangible outcomes for community. Um, I think is is kind of a more interesting question yeah. to it to explore because that I think is where we're missing the mark in lots of different places, right? Like yeah. all all the way from government to to nonprofit to philanthropy, the whole nine. I think we're missing the how. We're not doing that well, and so I want to get to some of the the nuts and bolts of that. But staying with Office of Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like to have this office develop, which, as I understand it, kind of was given the charge of like, go out here and solve all these homicides and stop all this, you know, stop all this shooting from happening. But at the same time, also do it with like 40 percent of the budget that you've asked for. Right? Like, what was that experience like? Um, and what did that say to you as you were trying to go out there and do the work? Yeah. So, you know, that's a loaded question, man. And that's what <laughs> So, you know, came into the office as a one man shop. 
Mm. Right. Had a lot of support. Uh, you know, Sadiqwa was the, uh, my boss. I reported to her. I had Dr. Nesbitt, who was in the health department, who helped me think about the work. I had uh, uh, Tony Payton, who was the mayor's policy person. Uh, and then I spent a lot of chief time with Chief Conrad when he was there. But then you also had Gentry. So I had people. Mm-hmm. You've had Gentry, who was a deputy mayor. I had people who were on my team, but it was still a one-man shop. Mm. And when the office first opened, the charge was to create a strategy to reduce homicides, shootings, overdose, and suicides. Wow. Folks forget overdose and suicides was in the I portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, but you get in and you're just thinking about, and it, one of the first things I did, Lyndon, was, one, it was new. This, these these kind of offices were like a new thing in the country. Not too many cities had them. So one of the things I give Louisville credit for is that we started, we were innovative, but we didn't invest in the innovation. Mm-hmm. Right? We were really, really innovative, but we didn't put the money behind it. So I picked up the phone and called like four other people who were running the offices. And I only got one person, and she was in Philly, Erica Atwood, who I still talk to to this day. And just like had some conversation around what is this work inside of city government because it's a different thing inside of city government than it is outside of city government and really didn't have no budget man to be truthful uh, not even 40% of a budget that was asked for was like a salary for me and a few dollars to do some things a few dollars a few dollars <laughs> uh, but the work again you asked the how it was about building those coalitions internally and external mm. right so I spent a lot of time just bringing people together who I knew cared about this issue, bringing them to the table, asking them questions, helping them, them helping me think through the process. Uh, So the how was really around building coalitions and building relationships and using existing relationships just to move some things, right? To get some stuff done. Uh, And later, you know, was able to bring on Quiniqua, Carthen Love to the team. Uh, By the time when I left, there was still a two person shop. Wow. Then I think they're about 45, Mm -hmm. right? So it's it's much bigger. It might be 28. I might be exaggerated, but it's a bigger, bigger than two. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, and the budget stayed small. We were able to bring in outside resources, right? So we were able to get grant money and support it that way. But there was no city dollars coming because part of the issue was, right, when the mayor said yes to this, council said no. Mm. Council was like, you got a police chief. You got a, a chief of public safety. Why do you need an office of safe and healthy neighborhoods? They just couldn't understand it. And I think one of the things the Fisher and administration did not do well was build those bridges so that they could understand what it was. So every time I went to a budget hearing, it was more confrontational than it was like, let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. Right. You value, we value you. Let's give you some money. But I mean, I think it was just uh, for somebody who never worked inside a city government, figuring that piece out. Mm-hmm while also trying to do community work and bring community members to the table. Uh, I tell folks all the time, it's like, you know, you you own the ground, people love you, then you go into the uh, mayor's office, you become the man and people mad at you. And I'm like, I ain't changed, right? I'm still the same cat, I just sit in a different place. So you just have to deal with those things. But I think this idea of no resources to do big work you got to get innovative and you got to use your networks and you got to use the people who you know who can help you move things. And would you say that part of the, the challenge in terms of getting people to understand the work and why you do it has to do with like the narrative that we have around, mm. particularly around violence. Um, it is it is a very one dimensional 
uh, type of story that we like to tell with regard to violence. It has to do with, you know, a bad person went and committed a violent act, right? Like, and we don't really think about all of the different connections and uh, root causes that that create a condition or a circumstance in which somebody, you know, might pick up a gun um, and use it in a harmful way. Um, how much of that, how much, how much did you find that the narrative was the problem or that that was part of what you were combating when you were having to go to counsel or having to go to other people in terms of helping them to understand the the problem? Like, so Dana Jackson, you know, shout out NC3, yeah, yeah. Like, likes to talk a lot about mental models, right? right. Like, and how much of the mental models that they exhibited were were part of or what percentage of the problem was it the fact that people had these certain mental models around violence and the communities that 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 you served? Yeah, I think it would be about 70 to 75 percent. Wow. Right. Of the mental models. Right. Not only around how we talk about crime, but what we did, what we deem as public safety. Mm. Right. So if I come into a conversation and I'm talking about these young folks, uh, these folks who are most at risk and what they need, people can't see that, right? Because they see the act that they're doing and can't see them as people, mm-hmm. right? So I think the ideal of how we define public safety, and this is a public safety issue, and the only way we deal with public safety uh, when it comes to those kind of issues is criminalize, right? right? We got mm-hmm. a law enforcement, we got a whole court system, let's hold people accountable, right? And let's hold people accountable in a way where it's punitive and not restorative. And I think that's just how we've dealt with this. So I don't even like to talk about uh, community violence uh, as, a, as, a, as a crime and then criminal and stuff like that. You know, at Cities United, we start like, we need to create safe, healthy, and hopeful communities for young black men and boys and their families. Right. Because if I can get you to think about what a safe, healthy, and hopeful community can look like, it's different than I need more police. Yeah. It's different than we need to build better, bigger jails. It's different than we need SRO, SRO officers, SRO folks inside of the school system. It's a different conversation mm-hmm. when I'm thinking about I need you to be safe, healthy, and hopeful because it ain't about police then, right? It's more about housing. Right. It's more about education, better educational outcomes and all these things like that. So I think a big piece of it was around the mental models we have, but a bigger piece of it, I mean, about 50-50 of it was also about who it was happening to. Hmm. We just haven't dealt with the fact that we're okay with losing young black men and boys to gun violence in this country Wow, as a whole. Hmm. And I know black folks care deeply about it. There's some white folks who care deeply about it being different. But as a country, we've allowed this to happen for decades mm-hmm. and we haven't shifted how we move. Right. So part of it is also going in front of council, talking about who we're losing when they're already looked at as we're already looked at as criminals. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it was a it was a hard conversation. People want violence to stop. But they don't want to deal with the root causes. They won't don't want to accept the fact that young black men and boys and young some women are in this lifestyle because we force them in with no options. Right. And to that point, like so much of what gets suggested around violence is is responsive. Yep. And and reactionary. Yep. Less and less on the preventative side, right? Like because even the idea of more policing, like. 
I say all the time, like police are a response. <laughs> Always. If we can argue whether or not they're even a good response. That's his own conversation. But they are still a response. Like, we call them first responders for a reason. Right. right? Like, you respond to violence. Right. You are not preventing violence. That is not your job. Um, and so this unwillingness to want to deal with what happens on the front end, which, you know, to start to pivot towards some of your, your Cities United work, this idea of you know, safe, healthy, hopeful communities, mm-hmm. right? Like that's a preventative measure, Absolutely. right? And that Absolutely. type of solution looks very different than the one of reaction. And so how do you start to move the conversation and start to shift people's minds towards that type of solution rather than the reactive one? Yeah, that's the, you know, that's the work that Cities United does in cities all across the country. You know, we start the conversation really thinking about what's the holistic holistic strategy uh, that we want to engage in and that we want to create. We start with, you know, there's young people who are in harm. There's people who are in harm's way. Because I think, you know, depending on where you're at, the data tells you and it's anywhere between 16-year-olds to 25 to 35, depending on your city. So I don't want people to think this is only about young people, but it is about young people, but it's also other folks who are impacted. You know, Louisville lost 60 young people under 18 to gun violence last year. Wow. 60. Hmm. Under 18, most of them were young black men or young black men and boys to gun violence. And we are still having a debate around what we need to do. Hmm. Right now, if 60 young white boys were lost to gun violence in this city, could you imagine the resources that we would put out? Right? It's a different yeah. conversation. So back to your question. I'm sorry, I got off track a little bit. When you think about, so we come in and say, okay, who's in harm's way today? And what's our strategy to get them out? What's the intervention plan? What's the plan to get them out? Uh, so thinking about organizations like No More Red Dots, who does violence intervention work. Shout they out to the Woods. Dr. Woods and the team and Norm. They might do reactionary work because they're responding to a shooting, but they're also thinking about how do we prevent farther shootings from happening? Who do we need to talk to? How do we make sure they don't do retaliation? Think about what Pivot to Peace does when somebody presents at the hospital. How do I make sure that you, whatever lifestyle you live in, we can get you out of it? But how do I also work with your peers and your family to make sure there's no retaliation? So it's not even about how we react. It's about it's, it's about how we react, but it's like, who do we send to react? Mm-hmm. So that's one piece is like let's intervene let's save lives today mm-hmm. we got tools and resources that we know work that we can do uh but then it's to your earlier point it's like what's the upstream work what's the prevention work right and then you know if we looked at over the, the years that this has happened and look at the data right people always say data follow the data mm-hmm. if we're going to follow the data for real data tell us who where and when these shootings are happening and if we know who, where, and when, then we can start backtracking and say, what neighborhoods are folks coming from? What street are they coming from? What schools that they went to? Because some of there's going to be some similarities across the board. Right. And then we can really start addressing the issues of like where folks falling through the cracks and where do we need to tighten up and where do we need to plug? So you got to be able to do intervention and prevention and then the transformational work all at the same time. So we say to cities, we need you to think about what your 10-year plan is. Mm-hmm. 
And what's your city going to look like in 10 years for these folks who are most at risk? Not for everybody, but for these folks who are most at risk. And when you build a strategy that has 10 years down the road, you can look at all those different areas and make the investments so that you're not just thinking about what's happening today and you're not just reacting, but you're actually spending the time to think about, okay, we're going to react, put together a strong plan to intervene, but we're also thinking upstream and we're also thinking transformational work as well. The Louisville Urban League Derby Gala is happening May 3rd, featuring musical guests Joe, Drew Hill, and Stokely. Listen Up listeners can win a pair of tickets to the show. All you have to do is tune in weekly to the Listen Up radio show, listen for the contest keyword, then email giveaway at lul.org with your name, phone number, and keyword. Contest runs from March 2nd through April 15th 2023. One entry per person per episode with seven chances to win. The contest is open to adults 18 and up. This week's keyword is Michelle Obama. The Louisville Urban League wants to make sure that every student thrives academically. And to make that possible, the league is offering free intensive tutoring to JCPS students who qualify. Kindergarten through 12th grade students can receive export help in reading, math, and ACT prep. Kids like me deserve every opportunity to succeed and to reach our greatest potential. Sign your student up today. To learn more, visit lul.org or call 502-585-4622. So you're starting to talk about the Cities United work. And so real quick, what's the elevator speech on <laughs> what is Cities United so that the folks yeah. can know? So Cities United supports a network of mayors across the country, uh, along with community members and young leaders who are committed to reducing the homicide of young black men and boys in half by the year 2025. So when we started Cities United in 2011, Mayor Nutter, uh, former mayor of Philadelphia, Dr. Bell with Casey Family Programs, and then also uh, Mayor Landrew, who used to be the mayor of New Orleans, and Sean Dub with the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, we were losing 14 young men to gun violence every day. So we wanted to cut that in half to seven, but the ultimate goal is to get us to zero, right? Because we believe we can get to a place where young people, or people in general, don't see Balance is the way and it's the tool. Uh, so we do that and we do that by helping cities develop comprehensive public safety plans uh, that really look at how do we create safe, healthy and hopeful communities for young black men and boys. Start with mayors uh, because they in most cities are the executive of the city. They set the vision for the city. They start the conversation about the budget. They help with policy. They can convene big tables. Uh, so we can get mayors on board, then they can bring other folks on board and really help us move a big agenda. So how many cities are y'all in now? We have worked with over 145 cities over the last 11 years. We take a deep dive with about 20 every year. Mm -hmm. uh, so right now, this week, today, and yes, on Monday, we kicked off what we call the Roadmap Academy. So we've got 12 cities who are going to be spending a year uh, engagement with us, really looking at how do they get to their comprehensive strategy. So we have like nine of those 12 cities in Louisville today. Each city brought a team of three or more people. There's the, Some of them got their mayor. 
Uh, some folks got their city lead, which are the folks who run the office, like the one I did here for Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods. Uh, a young person, 18 to 24, because we think young voice, people need to be at the table all the time. And then the community-based partner who's helping them lead their work, right? So that's the 12 cities there. We're going to probably take on eight more cities throughout doing some other things with. Uh, but anywhere between 12, uh, 20 and 25 cities a year, we take a deep dive with. Other cities might get a light touch and just get some of our resources. That's dope. So now you can help the folks of Louisville feel a little bit better. So you are now doing this. <laughs> you've now done this across, you know, 100 plus cities and gotten to see what's what's happening up there. What are some of what are some commonalities that you're seeing um, across these cities in terms of challenges that they're mm. facing in, in addressing these issues. And then on the flip side, for the cities that seem to be moving in the right direction, what are the commonalities that they hold? Yeah, good question, man. Uh, uh, so the big challenges that folks are facing are resources. Uh, allocating the right amount of resources to support the work, uh, uh, and making it a long-term investment, right? Because this is not just a one-off. This is like, I need you to say, we're invested in this for 10 years. Uh, I think some of the issue is political gameplay around the issue. You know, the mayor might say yes. Council members might say no. They might fight back and forth. Council members might say yes. Mayor might say no. Are they, are they might not say no directly, but they do things to interfere with the work. Uh, I think that question you asked earlier is a big issue, the mental models, right? People who see this happening in their communities, and we've all seen the uptick since COVID, are like, we need more policing to address this issue. Uh, so folks are still stuck there. So when you come with new models, people think you're trying to defund police. People think you're trying to do all these things. And we're just saying there's enough resources to go around and invest in the issue. And does that mean... We take resources from police. If we look at our budget, we probably could and should. We could take money from Parks and Rec. We could t There's money to be taken and dispersed differently based on what we're trying to deal with. So it's not really like take, we might want to get to a right size police. I think police departments are too big, right? Police departments are made up of some number that states calculate Mm. And say each of you all deserve need to have this many police, and we don't know if that's still the right number. Talk about an unpopular opinion, Anthony. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> I don't know if it's still the right number. So I'm just saying, let's take time to just look at where we invest and say, are we investing in the right things at the right time to address the issues that we're dealing with today? Right. That formula is old. Yeah, and I mean, not to cut you off, no, no, but no, like. Part of part of my issue, I think, in terms of what in in how we get you know wrapped up in this idea around policing is, we ask police to do a lot, like a lot of a lot stuff, that and like a lot of for. yeah, and like a lot of diverse, very wild things, everything from speed tickets. <laughs> To you know, uh, blocking off lanes for traffic to going into you know if they have to go and stop somebody with a gun to dealing with people with mental health like just those four things alone like require a whole bunch of different types of skills and so then ask you know any one person to embody all of that all the time just really doesn't seem like a good idea right like just 
on his face. Like, why are you asking all of these people or these people to do all of these different things um, when particularly when you have people who could do certain things like, you know, who are trained professionals to go out like you need to deal with somebody who's having a mental health crisis. Like we got people who literally that is their job. Like. That's what they're there for. When you say when we have a conversation with police officers in cities, they get it right. They understand that they've been asked to do a whole lot. They understand and they don't want to do all that. Right. So if you can, again, if you got clear leadership and you got clear vision, you can get people on board and say, look, we ain't taking your job. We're taking parts of your job away and moving it to something else and saying, how do we put it into a place to make sure what we hired you for is what you do on the day to day, right? Well, I, I did a ride along when I first took the job at the city. And the different things that we did, right? We went into one house where somebody was having a mental breakdown. We went into one house, we were the first ones there. So we had to get them prepared for the ambulance to come and take because they were having a heart attack, right? We, I mean, it's just all of these different things. And I'm like, that don't sound like policing to me. It sounds like helpful. But could we use your time somewhere else? Right. So most police departments, most beat officers, uh, the the sergeants and the chiefs, they all get it once you have a conversation with them and you can show them we got to reimagine public safety framework and saying on top of what you do, all of these other actors need to be playing so that you don't have to go to every call. You don't have to go everywhere. Right. So for me, that's a relief. To then say, okay, and it also says there's other opportunities that we create for more people to go do other things and not just have to go into policing because they see that's the way to help their community. So I, I think when we can have a conversation with people, people are not really seeing that you're trying to take away. They're seeing that you're trying to say, okay, there's so many people who can be helpful with this issue and we're not the only public safety actors in the place, right? So how do you create an environment there? And I think part of your other question was, what are we seeing that's working? Uh, like what... In cities where folks are getting some successes, I want to be 100%. There's no city in this country who has truly invested in alternative models long-term. There's just none. So nobody's getting it 100% right. But the cities where we're seeing consistent investment, right? Like you think Newark, for example. Uh, Mayor Baraka, when he came into office, uh, created... Uh, he took five million from his police department and created an office of violence prevention, took one of the police districts, turned it into a space like a community space for that office and has invested consistently over and over and over again. And he's been seeing reductions for the last seven years. Even during COVID, his number stayed flat. Right. Oakland, when Oakland was at its prime, they had been investing for 10 years. They were seeing reductions. They stopped investing, got crazy, and things happened. Uh, but it's, it's, it's consistent leadership, like from the mayor and other elected officials and other leaders. But it's that investment. It's like the long-term investment into the whole model of the work. Like Louisville has a a, a pretty integral system in place that's just not invested. Mm. Right. When you think about all the different people who are doing this work in Louisville and if you gave them all the resources or enough resources to really do their work, 
we could see a big difference, right? If you think about the street outreach and the interruption work that Dr. Woods and his team do, you think about what uh, the folks with Joshua Connectors are doing, you think about Pivot to Peace, you think about all of these different people who are doing work. If they had the resources to get the work done and then somebody helping to coordinate all of that energy, Louisville would see a whole different ballgame. So then what's the what's the hold up, right? Because I have my own <laughs> I have my own answer on this and I and I'll I'll share it, but I'm gonna ask you first because I don't want people to feel like I influenced you. Um so what is what's what's the block? Right? Like think about Louisville specific, right? Like what is what's the block for us to 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 get over the hump? Uh so the big block is we've said it a couple of times. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit uh, One, the first block I would say Is that who's doing the work Is a block for some people Right When you think about who's leading those organizations And who's running that work uh, And Their so-called track record is what you, If that's what you want to call it mm-hmm. uh, But nobody's So that's one is that who's leading And running the work Two, people still are not sure what the work is mm-hmm. and can't see themselves in it. So when you talk about giving money to a violence intervention program, a lot of folks are like, what does that mean? I don't do violence intervention, so I can't fund that. So these are folks' strategic plans keep them from also moving money out the door. And I think the last thing I would say is that uh, the organizations are young, and their capacity to actually write and get two grants sometime hinders the conversation for them. Uh, but I think it just goes back to who's running them. It goes back to the mental models of what we think public safety is and violence prevention. But it also goes back to the capacity of the organizations. So that's fair. <laughs> I mean, yes, I, I can I can see those things, right? Like there is, yes, generally some ignorance around what the work is. Mm-hmm. And, I, and ignorance usually gets taken with a negative connotation, but it just means that people don't, don't understand. know. Yeah, don't they just know. don't know or don't understand certain things. Um, and then certainly capacity of organizations being it. And then, um, you know, somewhat of a fear or kind of stereotypical fear in terms of who mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. might be leading the work and does that person look or sound like, you know, the people that they typically <laughs> might want That's to invest in. That's not typical CEO or ED, right? right? Yeah. yeah, they're not going to be your typical C-suite individual getting his work done. And so I think those are I think those are fair points and I, and I take them. So I'll share my side. <laughs> Please right? do. Like, and I know you've, and you've heard this and the folks on the pod, y'all are probably going to hear me say this as long as I'm hosting this, you know, probably every other show. But I, I, I've said this about Louisville is that of the places that I've lived and worked and experienced, Louisville is both the closest and the farthest mm. away from getting it right. Yep. Right. Like truly getting and by getting it right, I'm talking about equity, um, you know, Full transformation, mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. place where every citizen um, has the opportunity to thrive and succeed um, and live in a healthy, hopeful community. Right. Like truly, I believe that Louisville is both the closest and the 
farthest away from getting that right. I can agree with that. And I would say, and my reasoning for that is, is that if you think about all the things that Louisville has and a lot of this stuff that you've talked about, right? Like Louisville was the first place to have a center for health equity in the entire country, right? Like that, that idea started here. Um, you're one of the first places to have something like an office of safe and healthy right. neighborhoods right. Um, here. We had, at least up until this month, uh, the Greater Louisville Project, <laughs> um, which was an initiative put together to, to study um, all the things that were wrong, right? And so like data, and 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 not just the Greater Louisville Project, but there are a lot of other, you know, the universities and others that have done lots and lots of research. So we have the the knowledge around what's wrong, right? right? I think Louisville lots is of lots of lots and lots of data, <laughs> like decades of data we have. I think Louisville also has um, generally a consensus around we agree that the data is real, right? Like nobody's really debating like whether or not the numbers that GOP puts out are wrong, right? Like there's not a whole lot. Right. Of, like there's, you there's some, you, you know, there are some people like, well, you know, it might not have been that percentage. <laughs> but generally speaking, like people agree what the problems right. are. Right. And people people understand what the problems are. Politically, um, Louisville generally is somewhat aligned, right? Like between the mayor's office and the council, there's some di divisions in there, but generally like it's not a hard, you know, you don't, you don't really have a hard combative, at least in the time that I've experienced it, you don't really have a hard combative experience between, you know, council and the mayor's office and other political parts, at least within the city, get to the state, different story, but <laughs> in, the, in the city, like all of that. And so, and Louisville has the big part of this is Louisville has money, right? Like mm -hmm. when you talk about mm -hmm. philanthropy in the city, mm -hmm. when you talk about corporations in the city, when you talk about the city budget itself, tons and tons of money exists um, to be able to do uh, progressive and transformative work in this city. So those are like a lot of the boxes <laughs> that Louisville is able to check. The one box that I tend to find that is hard um, for Louisville to check consistently is courage and leadership, mm. right? And so when you talk about what the mayor of New York, Newark um, has done, what the mayor in Oakland has done, those things sound like courageous acts, right? Like I think to, uh, for Oakland, it was the community and the mayor got behind. In Newark, it was the mayor and the so yeah. Right. But something pushed. But something pushed. Yep. And somebody in a position of power and authority yep. had to have the courage to say, you know, we're going to do this a different right. way. Right. And so I do part of, I, I wonder where Louisville is going to find its courage on some things and how do we get there right like and that's not to say that we don't have courageous leaders we've, yeah, got, yeah, we've got tons absolutely. around here but are those leaders a always in the right positions mm -hmm. at the time at which they need to be mm -hmm. and even when they are are they courageous in the moments in which they need to be so yeah, no, am no. I being unfair no, like no, I, no, <laughs> no 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 I mean good questions but I think part of the analysis it would be then to, as you think about leadership and you think about this city and you think about behind the scenes leadership, right? That kind of helps move this city forward. Is courageousness paused or stopped in conversations that we don't know about, right? So 
think about, you know, because I, I don't know if I, I, I can 100% agree that there's no, that everybody agrees. They might agree to the numbers, but they don't agree to the solutions. Right. And I think the solutions are the thing that hinders us from moving. Right. When you think about this issue, just as we keep talking about violence intervention and violence work. There's a number of council members who, and school board members and other folks who believe more in the punitive and would want to lock everybody up, would want to push everybody out, uh, and are not in alignment with the strategies that might have been proposed in the One Love Louisville plan. Mm. Right? Uh, and and would never fund that all the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do agree a hundred percent to your your when you started is that we're close and farther at the same damn time. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that keeps hope for me in Louisville is because Louisville has all the damn ingredients that you just talked about. And I'm always hopeful that there's gonna be a moment in time when we all click. Mm-hmm. But when I'm in rooms with some of the white folks who I talk to about this work my concern is is that I don't think we'll have a there'd never be enough white people to say yes to this work that tilts the scale mm. there's always going to be a handful who are in rooms with us who raise their hands who agree but we need more because when you talked about the state when we see the election results white folks tell us all the time mm where they lie and what, what where they're going to where they're going to where they're going to put their power behind and their their energy behind. So I think the issue is that for me is that there's just never going to be this this white this swell of white folks who are going to be like now is the time for change. Hmm. I thought it was going to happen after the murder of Brianna. When I saw all of the people in the streets for days, for weeks, for months, like not just downtown, like everywhere you drove, drove everywhere you drove in Louisville, people were protesting. Right. I thought there was going to be a change. Mm-hmm. White folks went back to what they do. Mm. I don't know if we're all ready to give up the comfortabilities that we have for the true change that you're talking about. I think that is a a legitimate issue in terms of how um, willing are our folks to give up, you know, as Sadiq Reynolds, you say, like, um, central air condition. (laughs) Like, um, you know, once folks started to get comfortable, it it made it a lot harder um, to want to go to to go back or to kind of upset the apple cart on on these things, but I don't know. I think I am. I don't know if I. I don't know that optimistic is necessarily the word. I think I think I see that there is an opportunity, right? Because you bring up the election, and I think voting is is kind of a really interesting space to talk about this. Because while yes, the elections. In Kentucky, uh, the demographics or the the yeah the demographic mm-hmm. makeup of those look a certain way. But when you look at the actual numbers and you see that right, no, you got forty five percent turnout. If that, <laughs> if <Right>. that, <laughs> right? Like there is an opportunity there yeah. that speaks to what's possible, right? Like because that means that there is sixty percent, and that's just the folks who are registered to right. vote, right? Like so, right. we ain't even talking about the folks who aren't registered and all that. Um, 
there's an opportunity for 55, you know, 60 percent of the population to get engaged and figure out what this is. And so, you know, as we start to to close, like your roots in this work are around organizing. And and that was the work of NC3 and, and the work that you've you've been up to. How do we begin to organize around these ideas um, and and solutions to the point that mm-hmm. you made? Like, how do we begin to really mobilize and organize around solutions that work for everybody? Yeah, that's a good question, too, man. Uh, so, you know, uh, so I was uh, Mayor Labamba of Jackson, Mississippi, uh, said to I was in a room with him the other day and he said, it's one thing he said. No, he said if you can only organize those like those folks of like mind, then you're not truly an organizer, right? So mm. I think uh, some of this is really like organizing across some of these differences that we have, right? And building those relationships and building the bridges. I think what Charles is doing with from the hood to the holler, Charles Booker, mm. is right on. Mark, right? It ain't even just from the hood to the holler. Some of this is from Shiny to Portland, from right. Chickasaw <laughs> to Beach, uh, you know what I'm right. saying? Right, yeah. To Belmont. I mean, so some of the organizers got to happen in Louisville, right? It ain't mm-hmm. just that we got to organize from the west end of Louisville to the rural parts of Kentucky. There's some organizing that's got to happen here, and it's got to happen in a way where you're spending time building relationships and sharing ideas. And I don't think we do that well in the city, right? I think we come in rooms and the the room is set in a way where we invite whoever, but the folks who really care about that issue are the ones who are going to show up. Mm-hmm. I ain't got to organize with you for real, man. I ain't got to get you on the same right. page with me. There's other people who I do need to get on the same page with me, but how do I do that? That means we got to get uncomfortable and really organize against the differences that we have with people and try to figure out what the common ground is, right? I think, again, also, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about here, Lyndon, lately is like, you know, when you think about the Democratic Party here in Louisville, and I'm thinking, like, okay, Mayor Fisher was a Democrat, Craig is a Democrat, Mayor Greenberg's a Democrat. How are those two working together to share ideas, right? It feels like, you know, new mayors come in, even if they're from the same party, and just change the whole game, Mm. right? Does the Democratic Party ever sit and have a strategy and a plan? When you talk about bold leadership, how would it, I was saying to somebody the other day, it's like if I ever ran, it would have to be in a slate. Mm. I would say to, I would try to find like 13 other Democrats who are running for council. And if I'm running for mayor, we're running together on the same platform. Mm-hmm. That's the only way you're going to change things, right? Because right now, everybody's individualized. Right. They go sit in their, their districts. They think about their place and their space. And it's not about one accord. And nobody is champion. And that's what I, you know, uh, one of the faults that I think of the previous administration is that there was no relationship building across the street with Metro Council to say, how do we work together? It was really like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. This is what they want to do. They're going to do it. So I just think there's some differences that we got to organize around. And I don't think people are willing to put the time into it or are willing to be as discomfort as we need to be to get there. Absolutely. And I, I just say, you know, the Louisville Urban League is a nonpartisan organization. <laughs> um, <laughs> However, I think what is interesting about that is because I think and this came up in our in the last mayor cycle in some of the debates is that the issues for black people 
are less partisan and more people based, yes, right? Like, because honestly, from party to party, the solutions don't necessarily look mm-hmm. terribly different. Mm-hmm. Um, now, sometimes they look just different <laughs> enough to where that tips the scales. Unless you're talking uh, about the state again. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> the state they, is totally different. I don't want to give too much credit. However, <laughs> um, generally speaking, like our issues are, are problems of people mm-hmm. and the fact that we as a people aren't often respected as Mm -hmm. such. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's a really important point that you make in terms of how do even within parties or just within politics in general, how do those folks break out of their own silos um, and begin to really do courageous work? Um, Last thing I'm going to ask you, you know, before we get out of here and and we're going to have to do this again, but What is your hope for for your hometown, for this city, right? Like, what do you hope that we're able to do, you know, in the next few years to really make a difference for people? Um, so I'm a firm believer that I would not be sitting anywhere. I would not be sitting where I'm sitting if I didn't have a second, a third, and a fourth opportunity, right? Uh, and I want a city that allows young people to fail, but not fail where the point where they get lost, but they learn, they grow, and they move on. Uh, and I want Louisville to be that city where every young, especially young black kid, young black child, sees themselves anywhere they want to be. Mm. Right, sees a future for themselves, understand that this city loves them, understand that this city has them. One of the first things I told Mayor Fisher when I took the job is that I'm gonna bring as many young black folks into your office as possible. Cause I needed them to see where the seat of power is, one of the seats of power in this city is. And for me, when I first started saying yes to this job, I had never really been inside Metro Hall. And that was as, as a grown man. So it just so for me, it really is. I, did I want our kids to see what a beautiful city we have and that all of this city is for you and you should feel comfortable and you should feel welcome everywhere you go. Uh, and it's not just that you go to the West End, but you go to the East End, you go to the South End and you see yourself and you see your you see the possibilities. Right. So I want this city to create space for all of our young black people kids to feel that they that that this is theirs and that they belong here wow well that is anthony smith um thank you brother for doing this and let me just say for the record right like where the league has been able to grow to um over the last several years um honestly is in part due to your support and the help that you've been able to bring to this organization um, and and where Louisville has had success um, is hugely in part to the work that you did both when you were at the city and what you continue to do with Cities United. And so thank you for all of that. Thank you personally uh, for what you have been, you know, and meant to me. Um, I appreciate you, brother. Um, Love you and love like the ability to be able to bounce stuff off of you and to be able to go to you for help and support at those times. And so you truly do live out the work that you are doing, right? Like it ain't just something that you that's up on a website or on paper. 
like I can I can uh, testify that he walks this every single day. Um, and, and you're just an invaluable resource to this city. So thank you for joining us. Thank man. You, we appreciate, appreciate you that. Much um, being on with us. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us here on Listen Up, the Louisville Urban League's radio show and podcast. Again, you can find us every week on 101.9 FM or 1240 AM from um, noon to 1230 on Thursdays. Or you can find us anytime on the web at your favorite podcast station. We will see you next week. Thank you. Peace.